Lord, we do love you. We just stand here today and open up our hearts and worship you. And Lord, just declare it out of our lips. We love you. We praise you for everything you've done for us, Lord, that you're a good God. You're not an evil God. You're not a vengeful God. You're a, you're a good God. And we stand here this morning and we worship you. We worship you, O Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you're faithful and you're true to your promises and your word. Woo, Lord. You're a faithful, true God. So we just worship you and thank you for it, Lord, that your promises are yes and amen to those that believe. Lord, that you speak forth healing into the world. You speak forth life into the world. That's a promise we can stand on. We stand here today, Lord, and say thank you for it. Woo, yes, Lord. We praise you for it. Your promises are true, Lord. And you're a faithful God. So we can take confidence today. So we give you praise here this morning, Lord. We give you praise here this morning, Lord. We worship you. Lord, we thank you for it. mighty name. Now look at somebody this morning and say, God is faithful. Come on, look at somebody else and say, God is faithful. Do you believe that, church? Amen? Amen. Well, give the Lord a shout if you believe that. You know, it's good to make noise in church. Praise God. When I was raised in church, my mama poked my ribs so many times. Trying to get me to be quiet. And I'm glad I'm in a church now where we try to get everybody to be noisy. Praise God. Good change. Amen. Tracy, come on up. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Gosh, I have missed my church family. I've missed being in church. So it's so great to be back and worship with you this morning. I'm so glad to be home. Um, if you need an offering envelope this morning, raise your hand. Or ushers will get you one. There's also one in your bulletin if you were handed one of those this morning. I just have a few announcements to make. Um, our ladies' Bible study has started up again on Thursdays at 10 o'clock, and they're going to start this, well, this coming Thursday, uh, Jeannie told me that they're going to be praying for our country, amen? We need a little yes. prayer. Yes, that's right. Amen. But, the, but what's so great is that the power is that if any two agree is touching anything, it will be done. So we just need some agreement, amen, for our country and where we're going. Um, vacation Bible school was a hooray. Both of my grandsons got to go, and they wanted to go back again and again and again. So if you participated in Vacation Bible School, will you please stand up? Because it does take a village to do it. So anyway, please stand up. Sheila. Anyway, Christy's not here this morning, but I know that she's going to have pictures. Thank you guys so much for everything you did. And we just heard so many amazing things about what's happening. And it was just... It was called Christmas in July, and it was just about introducing our children to Jesus and the promises that we have when Jesus lives in our heart, and it came all the way down around to, oh my gosh. You know when your grandson's telling you where he's going to be, and that Jesus is going and preparing a place for him. It's just like, it's priceless, y'all. Right. Vacation Bible school, and, and just... Introducing our kids to Jesus at this young age is so 
priceless and it's life-changing and I got saved when I was in vacation Bible school so I just know how powerful it is so I just want to say thank you I know that Jesus's anointing was upon it and that every single child that came is touched and changed and transformed and so I just want to thank each one of you for being a part of that and for Pastor Robert Laura for having the courage to do vacation Bible school because no one else did but our babies are important amen yeah. Amen. And then Dr. Lex Brown has been teaching on Wednesdays about the four pillars of health. And so I just want to encourage you to go and find it on SoundCloud, thewaterhole.net. It's powerful. I can't go into it right now, but you need to listen to it. It's, it's about having ourselves in a state of, of good health. And he's dealing with stress, which none of you guys deal with stress, I'm sure. You know, it's like I have no idea what you're talking about, Tracy, but um, stress, diet, exercise, and restorative sleep. And he just goes, it's going to be going into more detail of that in, in this coming Wednesday. And I don't know how long he's going to be able to teach. But anyway, it's been really great teaching. I encourage you to go and listen to those. Um, we listened to it on the way back from Colorado. And just, I have three pages of notes. I'm like, yes. And so Dwayne and I have been talking about 478. Are you, hey, 478. Okay. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go listen, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Okay, there you go. It's all about breathing. So Pastor talked about the widow's might last Sunday. We listened to it again on the way home from Colorado. It's so great to have, um, you know, TV out there, right? I mean, you can listen to it wherever you are. So we were on our way home from Colorado, and we just pulled up YouTube and listened to it virtually in the car, and it was great. And he talked about um, the widow's might. And even as we're worshiping and talking about Jesus' faithfulness to us, He's so faithful. God's faithful all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. His, he's faithful to us. And he recognized that, that widow who brought her two copper coins. He saw her. And Jesus isn't asking you to bring what you don't have. But will you bring him all that you have? And I thought about the widow in, in uh, 2 Kings 4 who uh, Elisha went to her and, he, and Elijah went to her and he said, "What do you have?" He didn't ask her for what she didn't have, but he took her little bit of oil, and the anointing came on that little bit of oil, and it produced everything that she had need of and more. And then think about when Jesus was going to feed the five thousand. He didn't say, "What, what are we going to do here?" They brought the loaves and fishes, a little boy's lunch. He gave them all. And Jesus fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, because they didn't count them. And there was 12 basketfuls left. He said, gather everything that's left behind. He said that they ate till they were full off of a little boy's lunch. That's our Jesus. That's his anointing on your giving. When you give all that you have when you're like, Lord, this is what I've got. He's not asking you to give what you don't have. He's asking you to give what you have, and are you willing to give it all? So that's my prayer for you today, is that as you give, you give Jesus your whole. You give him your heart, you give him your soul, and you give him what you have of your finances, because I promise you, he always multiplies what you give. Amen? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come in this place and worship. You are faithful. You are so amazing, and I thank you so much for every person that's here. I thank you for every person that's listening. I thank you that your anointing is upon every gift that's being given right now. I thank you for increase, Lord, that as they give, it's multiplied to them, 30, 60, 100-fold return. Lord, every need that they have, I thank you that you meet it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Uh, praise God. Praise God. Well, I'm glad y'all are here this morning. Yes, thank everybody for helped with VBS. It was great. We kids were blessed. Y'all were great. Y'all were amazing. Lord, come home every day and tell me about how awesome everybody was. And so, praise God for that. So, um, we already got supplies bought for next year. We already planned ahead a year. So I said, "Well, they said it was on sale." I said, "Okay, it's on sale. We have to have it." So praise God. So we're ready to roll. So anyway, uh, get your Bibles out and go to the book of Song of the Song of Solomon. It's right in there. Finding, go find Proverbs and keep turning. Head towards Matthew. You'll find it. Song of Solomon, chapter two. Verse 15, it's a real familiar passage of scripture here, but I want you to see where it's at so you can tell everybody, oh yeah, I read the Song of Solomon. I have to admit there's a few, they're, they're Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, sometimes, you know, like the Song of Solomon, I've, I've tried to study it to understand it because I don't, and so I read it and, uh, you know, it's a little mushy. And maybe that's why I don't understand it, you know, because I'm not mushy and so... Anyway, uh, but there's, a, there's, a, there's something said here that I, I just got to show you. Okay, Solomon, Song of Solomon 2.15. It says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Now, the Lord impressed the scripture on me, and I started, I was like, okay, you know, I know, I know the principle, you know, little things in our life will come in and spoil everything, you know, and la, 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 and I was thinking this, and I, then, I, it, then I got off a few days later thinking about, how do foxes spoil vines? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me, you know? And so I started looking it up, and I found this article that I just had to read to you here this morning. It says, the red fox was introduced to Australia in 1870 for recreational hunting. I guess they all wanted to be like the English. Get on there. tally and their subsequent, spread, their, their subsequent spread was so rapid that they are now responsible for environmental agricultural damage impact of valued at over $200 million per year. Now, I learned something about foxes that I didn't know. It says that horticulturists and vineyards uh, uh, and, and orchards, that a fox doesn't just eat the grapes. They want to eat the grapes. But they don't just eat the grapes because foxes take their little foxes, their little babies into the vineyards and they start eating the fruit. And the little foxes had this insatiable desire to chew on something. And so they go and they chew on the vine of the, you know, the grapevine. The true chew, they, they're just playing around, but they chew on it and kill it. And they sort of found article after article after, you know, beautiful orchards that all of a sudden everything starts dying. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. And it's foxes. It literally really is foxes. So this, this written in here in, in the Song of Solomon is not just metaphorically. It's also real in life that foxes spoil the vine. It also says that foxes like to chew irrigation pipe and everything else. And so, you know, uh, but as far as spoiling the vine, that's what they do. And so anyway, I, I, got to, I got to thinking about this, how foxes want to spoil the vine. Little foxes. Beware of the little foxes that want to spoil the vines. And how many of the little things in life want to come in as well? How many of you have ever had a good day going? You felt good. It was a good day going. And then all of a sudden, a little fox came in to spoil your good day. Huh? 
I always remember this. This is like the most, you know, like my, my wife and I, you know, when we first got saved, when our kids were small and we, you know, we just gave our hearts to Jesus and we're sold out. We wanted to go to church and, and, you know, we were in financial problems and everything was a, was a, was a problem. And so I never forget. It's like the second week of us being saved, committing our lives to the Lord, that we're going to live. We're going to go to church, going to read our Bibles. We're going to, we're going to be the best Christians we can be. That next morning, it's been two Sundays. We went to church, and then the next Sunday we go to church. And I, this is she can just raise your hand if I'm telling the true story. And so I don't want y'all to think pastors is exaggerating. That morning I got up and went down. I was trying to help Lord get everything the kids ready and all this kind of stuff. Like this not really. I was just making my own breakfast, and I was going to add some to it. But uh, but I put I put the toast in the toaster, you know. And then I went off, and then I looked back, and the toaster man's on fire. I mean, it's not the toast that's in it. I mean, this thing shorted out, so on fire to jerk it out and throw it outside. And I was like, man, toaster's out, you know. And so then she said, hey, you know, uh, you put this shirt in for you know the kids in the dryer. And so I put the shirt in the dryer, turned on, boom, that thing just exploded, you know, and just like it went out too. And then I'm like, holy cow, what is going on? And so, of course, you know, I was, I was sold out radical Christian. I was like, it's the devil. The devil's trying to attack us. You know, he's calling out. He's going say anything. I rebuke in the name of Jesus. We're going to go to church no matter what. And so I go outside to look at the car because I figured, hey, man, I need to check the next major appliance out. You know, we're going to go in. And it had a flat tire. I swear this is the truth. Did it not? It had a flat tire. So I said, holy cow, man. You know, I just took my shirt off right quick and changed shirts because I had already had them on Sunday go to meeting shirt on, you know. And so I go out there, change the tire, get the tire fixed. We get in the car. We load the kids up. You know, you're just, you know, you know how it is. If you got kids, you're just beating them to the car just to get them in there. You know, you don't even know if you're saved by the time you get them to the car. And so anyway, we get them into the car, get it locked down. We start heading down the road. The horses that we had were out. So I had to put the horses up. So I fixed the fence, put the horses up. And we're going down the road. We're determined. Now it's like. We don't even care if, if, you know, if, we, if we're late to church. We, there is nothing in hell going to stop us from going to church. You know, we're just like, that's it. We're just hanging on there. And all of a sudden, this buzzard from hell. <laughs> this is the truth, isn't it? Don't even, never, never, don't even, it wasn't like he was sitting on the road. This buzzard from hell comes flying in and hits our windshield and breaks it. And I said, it won't stop me. I just let it go. I never even slowed up. Buzzard flying over, feathers everywhere. I said, we're going to make it to church. Man, we slid up to Bonnie to church and got here and said, holy cow, what? hope it's not like this every day. But I felt like I was in the fight of my life. And if we didn't make it to church, if I gave up, we would be defeated for the rest of our life. And the whole day was just about make it to the doors of church. It didn't make any difference what state we're in. You had to repent of all the things I had said and done and thought getting to church but bless God we made it and sometimes life is like that you're gonna you're, you're trying to get going you're trying to get make everything go right but there's these little foxes that keep spoiling the vine they keep these little hindrances these little things that keep going well this morning's message I've got for you is I want to try to I'm, I'm I'm actually preaching I'm preaching the part and I'm going to let Dr. Brown on Wednesday do all the technical side of everything because he's better at that than I am and I'm just preaching but uh so they're kind of going to tie in together. But I want to get you started down the road because I, I tell you, we're in a world right now that I tell you what, all you have to do is look at any news broadcast, listen to anybody talking, and there is some buzzard from hell flying at you. Right? I mean, it just gets more crazy all the time. It just, you just think that it's going to quieten down and then it just gets crazier. And then it's just this and then it's just that. And then it's just what if this and what if that, you know, and, you know, you just think any minute. You know, 
It's going to be Red Dawn, the 1982 version, or whenever it was, 83, 79, somewhere in that neighborhood. Anyway, so my point is we got to be prepared. We as Christians, we have to be prepared. We got we kind of not chase all of these these things that are out there in the world. We got to stay on track. We've got to watch out for the wiles of the enemy and what's going on. We have to stay on track, but it's not an easy thing to do. All of us, myself, I can get distracted so easy. So here we go. John 15, 5. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Now, so if Jesus is the vine in the life and the little foxes are trying to spoil the vines, what the little foxes are trying to do is break your relationship with Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's trying to, the, the enemy's tactic is to break your relationship, your fellowship, your communication. He's trying to cut your lines of communication to Jesus. That's his point. That's what he's trying to do. So the first thing that you've got to come up and do is you've got to change your mindset. You have to change your mindset and say, I'm in a war, I'm in a battle, and they're trying to cut my lines of communication. All right? Because the moment you get off, have you ever noticed that, you know, usually when you're in the middle of a rampage and rant and, you know, all those kind of things like that, you're usually not hearing the voice of the sweet lamb of God. You're usually hearing the voice of yourself, your flesh, agging you own sin. That's right. You tell them. Right? So Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Okay, we're talking about bearing fruit here. Jesus said, if you stay in the vine, you're going to bear fruit. Bearing fruit is what we're supposed to do as Christians. Hello? Look, you're not supposed to live a perfect life. You're supposed to bear fruit. You don't have to have the biggest, fattest grapes. You just got to bear fruit. That means you help somebody in life. You bless somebody in life. You, you have a good word for somebody in life. You lead somebody to Jesus. You, you do what's right. Folks, listen to me. It's really pretty simple. And to all the craziness going on in the world today, just make a choice. Do you want to do what's right or, you do, or do you want to do what's wrong? You say, well, no, it's not that easy. Yeah, it is. Just put things in categories of lining up with the word or not lining up with the word. If it lines up with the Bible, do it. If it doesn't, don't. Cut and dried. You say, well, you know, uh, sometimes. No, don't even go there. Jesus says, if you don't, if he does not abide in me, he's cast out as branch is the branches withered, and they gather them and throw them in the fire if they're burnt. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Okay? Now go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. Ephesians 4, 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now, the word Gentile there, it means everybody that's not a Jew. It means all of us, anybody in any land. It's not a derogatory term. It's not a racist term. It's just a term that means anybody who's not Jewish. Okay? So it says, but don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Now, hold on here. Hold on here. Hold on here. Look at that. It says. 
It says right there that it, your mind can alienate you from the love of God. Your mind can take you down a path and down a road that literally is so wrong, so opposed to the gospel, so opposed to the things of Jesus, that your thinking keeps you alienated from God's life, God's love. Alienated, the word alienated there means to be estranged, to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. That's, let's just put it this way. You go home and you, you're, you're, you're talking to the wife and you say something that you shouldn't have said that puts a wedge between you and her and then you get the ice treatment, you know. I know none of y'all have probably ever experienced that. Oh, I haven't. But I've heard of it. I've read books about it, heard stuff. Okay, and so you know it. You know there's something wrong. You got the ice treatment, right? The, it's, it's stalactites are forming in the house coming down. You know that you know that you you're messed up, and you don't want to do anything about it. You just want her to you know thaw out and everything be okay because you don't really want to do anything about it. You just want her to change so you can keep doing what you're doing. But it ain't happening, and it's cold in there. Hello, you say, are you okay? Fine. You know she's not fine. Hello? Preaching good, aren't I? That is exactly what the enemy wants to do with you to break your relationship and alienate you from your fellowship with Jesus. He wants to get your thinking to where you're talking and saying things that cause that same environment in your household between you and Jesus. So you're not here in life. You don't have the love of God flowing in. You don't have the life of God flowing in you. You have killed the environment because of what you're thinking. So you say, well, I don't understand, Pastor. Okay. You're sitting around worried, chewing your fingernails off, saying, oh, my God, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Oh, Lord, what's going to happen? This is going to, you know, I don't know. This is never going to take place. And I don't know about that. And, and, and I'm just worried, you know. Okay, that's one, that's one avenue. Uh, another avenue, I tell you what, I can't believe that they said what they said. I saw that look that they gave me, and I tell you what, I ain't going to put up with that. You know, they're going to look like me like that. I am, by, you know, by God, I ain't putting up with that. And that is just not right. And I'm going to go there, and I'm going to give them a piece of mind. If they say this, I'm going to say that, and then they're going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to do this. Bam! I'm going to hit them. That's another vein of thinking. Okay? Another vein of thinking would be, now, you've gotten off. It's alienating you from the life of God. Now you're over here and say, oh, I wish this would happen. I wish he would do this. I wish he would say that. Why did I ever do this? And why did I do that? Okay? It's taking you off. These veins of thinking are taking you off and alienating you from the love of God, the life of God coming into you, just like you do between husband and wife. It's taking place in the realms of the spirit, whether you realize it or not. You've alienated yourself from the life of God. Woo! Because of what you're thinking. Look, it says, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So, in other words, their heart, they don't you don't, the person doesn't understand what they're doing. Now, the reason why is because they weren't raised in a spiritual manner. Do you hear what I'm saying? They were raised, he's talking about here the Gentiles, they were raised in a natural manner. In other words, this is the way you do it. And we learn our behavior from our environment and our parents and, you know, and, and people around us. And so that's how we respond to, re to situations because that's the learned behavior. I was thinking of this the other day. 
about, let's just say you never heard of a lion. I'm talking about the roaring man-eating lion. You never heard of a lion. You didn't know they existed. You didn't know there was such a creature on the face of the earth. You never read a book. You never saw anything that had to do with a lion. Then how could you ever be afraid of a lion? You don't know it exists. Is that right? You, if you don't know it's out there, you don't have any existence, how could you even make up that there's a lion? I mean, what did you do? Just follow me on this one. You looked at a cat. And he said, oh, gosh, what if that cat was really big? Look at its teeth. Oh, gosh, what if there was like this huge mutant cat that lived in the woods? You see, your imagination could take you to a place, but if you didn't know there was a lion, you could never say, oh, that's just a cat, but there's a lion out there. Do you follow what I'm saying? Your brain can't think of it because you've never seen it. You don't know that it existed. The only way you can do is take what you see and imagine it in a worse state. Oh, we are perfect at doing that, we humans, us Gentiles, in the futility of our minds, going in there and just creating something that's not there. Can I have an amen? We sit around, the devil shoots a little fiery dart at us, he sticks us with it, and we sit around and create beasts that do not exist. Because it's all right here in our mind. And everything that you did doing that, according to what Paul's saying here, it alienates you, separates you, stops the intimacy between you and Jesus. Wow. And it all takes place in your head. So that if it takes place in your head, then then does that mean that you could stop it? You can change it? If it created in your head, See, I, I was watching a documentary the other day, and I didn't even know this. And, and y'all may think this is, and maybe Dr. Brown can help me out because I didn't look this up, uh, the proper name. But uh, years ago, the, the enemy kept tormenting me with bad dreams. And I would have a, I would have a nightmare. And, and I just would wake up and I'd say, that's not right. I should, I should not have a nightmare. I don't understand. Holy Spirit, will you show me what's going on? Will you teach me how to had to stop having nightmares. I don't understand because I'd have this thing and it would be in times I'd get stressed or whatever and I'd have these nightmares. And it was always kind of the same type reoccurring nightmare. And so, so then one night I had it and the Holy Spirit came and he started speaking to me while I was in the middle of my dream. It's like I'm having the dream and all of a sudden the dream goes on pause and the Holy Spirit comes and starts speaking to me. He says, Robert, this is what you need to do. Now y'all can think I'm crazy if you want, but I want to tell you this baby works and I found out it's scientific. And so the Holy Spirit said, Robert, I want to tell you what to do. He said, uh, stop right now in your dream, and you're going to dream it the way you want it. You want the outcome to be the way you want it to be. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, just use your imagination and make the outcome come your way. So in the dream, you know, the whatever, the zombie's chasing me. He's getting me. I can't run. All of a sudden, I can run really fast. And then all of a sudden, I have a big gun. Then all of a sudden, I have a bazooka. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, boom. And then, boom, he's out of there. I won. Dream's over with. I wake up. I'm not scared. And I noticed every one of my dreams stopped, and I never had another reoccurring dream like that. And then the other day, I'm watching a documentary, and there is a scientific method that they use to treat people with PTSD going back in there and getting them, and it's called something. I don't remember what. Do you know what it is? It's called redreaming. 
to a good end effect <laughs> or something like that. And it was what they used with PTSD people to, and they teach them this method and it, and it delivers them and the Holy Ghost showed me how to do it. And so after that, my, I never had any nightmares anymore. I was, I was victorious because I was just making my, I mean, it's like, oh, you want to try this dream? Oh, I can do this. You know, you're going to end up dead, buddy. My point is, is that the Holy Ghost can show you so many things in life to set you free with the thinking that's in your mind if you would allow him to do it and desire him to do it. I read this. I gave you this scripture last week, I believe it was Joshua 1.8. Let's look at it. Joshua 1.8. When Joshua was about to go into the promised land, he's about to take over. God gave him some specific instructions and he said, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you shall observe to do according to what is written. For then it will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So God speaks to Joshua, telling him, look, I've got a plan for you, but the only way you're going to accomplish that plan is you're going to have to stay focused on my word. You're going to keep meditating. You're going to keep chewing on it. You're going to keep going over it and going over it and going over it and going over it until you get it down within your heart, and then your way is going to be prosperous, and then you're going to have good success. So right here, you see God says, Joshua, your thinking is important. So I just present to y'all this morning right now at this second, what is your thinking like? If you were going to give yourself a 1 to 10 scale this morning, 10 being perfectly great thinking, you think just like Jesus, you have the mind of Christ, and 1 being you're just almost demonic. Where are you on that level? Hello? And that's going to tell you then where you are in your thinking and what needs to be overcome and what needs to have, you need to get victory over. Amen? Because unless you get victory over it, it's going to be a little fox that keeps spoiling the vine that's trying to produce fruit in that area of your life. You're always going to be, have fear. You're always going to have trust issues. You're always going to have you know, worry issues, it's always going to be there because those little foxes keep spoiling your vine because they have an inroad into your life through your thinking. Now, I want to show you something. Judges, go to the book of Judges. The plan this week is Judges chapter 1, and I don't know if Tracy told y'all, is Judges chapter 1, and you're going to read it, and you're going to start reading it and say, why in the world would pastor have me read this? Well, it's for this one specific part of the chapter here I want you to see. But it's Judges chapter 1. And you look in verse 27, it's talking about now that they've entered into the promised land. They're dividing up all the promised land. They're going in there and they're conquering all the, 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 the land for themselves and getting it. And then a very interesting verse takes place here in verse 27. They've already told about who's been in there and got their, their land. And it says, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and the villages of Tekron and the villages are the inhabitants of Dor and its villages or the inhabitants of whatever that place is and its villages or the inhabitants of Medegido and the villages for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. The Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. The Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it came to pass that when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute but did not completely drive them out. 
They didn't get, Manasseh did not drive them out. And there was other tribes there that did not drive out all the inhabitants of the land like God had told them to. And they left them there and they either made them pay tribute. In other words, they're going to pay taxes to them or something, but they did not get rid of them. And because they did not get rid of them, those little foxes were always there to come in and spoil the vine in the tribe of Israel. And if you notice here, it says the Canaanites were determined to land. Last words, they gave them resistance. I'm not telling you what you're going to do right now is you're just going to have, okay, Lord, I don't want to have any more bad thoughts. Ah, I'm delivered. I'm happy. Blue skies following me. You know, that's not going to happen like that. I'm going to tell you the enemy's not going to want to give up the land that he has already conquered in your brain. But I can tell you this, God is faithful and his promises are yes and amen. And if you'll do the second thing I'm about to tell you to do, you, he'll deliver you of that. But if you don't want to put in some effort. Oh, listen to me, folks. You know, Dr. Brown's been teaching a great message on Wednesday night. Four pillars of health, things you need to do. I just want you to know I'm applying them to my life. OK, I, but I'm having to do it slowly because there's still parts of me that are highly resistant to change. Yesterday, you know, the, everybody kept, for, they kept forecasting the big rain and hurricane coming in. And so, you know, I mean, I went and I got my shorts on to go walk. I sat there and put my tennis shoes on. I was going to go walk. But I'm really down inside of my heart. I was praying that it was going to rain. So I'd had an excuse. I have to admit it. I mean, it's true. And then I told Laura, I said, I'm going to go walk. And she said, OK, I'll go with you. And I was like, oh. There's still something resistant on the inside of me because I don't really want it. But you know what? I told my wife, I said, man, by Christmas, we'll be like the epitome of hell. Shining glory. People probably want to put me in GQ magazine or something. You know? <laughs> I doubt that. But it's nice to have a good vision like that, you know. So anywho, point is, it's going to take some resistance. There's going to be some resistance to this. You're not just going to walk into it, waltz into it, and all of a sudden, because I preach this message, you're just totally delivered. No, you're going to have to determine this is what you want to do. But listen to me, folks, you have to know that it's more productive, because let me ask you something. Has all the worrying, has all the fighting, has all the stress gotten you anywhere? You know, Jesus said, you know, by worrying, you're not going to add one cubit to your stature. I just think that would always be funny that if you were a worrier, you were really tall. So you could just pick them out. Oh, there's a warrior over there, you know. Wow, that guy really worried. He can't even get in the building, you know. But you follow on saying that there was, a, but there are changes to us because you know what? You can look in somebody's face and see if they're a warrior. Everybody's just looking straight ahead. Don't look. Oh, God. Don't look to the left or the right. No, but you can. You can look at somebody. You can tell whether they're happy, whether this, you know, what's going on with them, if they're worried, if they're stressed, whatever. You, you can see it. You can tell if somebody's been rode hard and put up whatever night, you know. So the Canaanites didn't want to get out. They wanted to stay and dwell in the land. So they resisted. So you're going to have to do something about it. You're thinking, I told you, separate you from the life of God. But now I want to show you something else. I want to show you something else here. Go to Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. And let me show you something here. Proverbs 4.23, you need to really, one of those scriptures that you really need to meditate on, keep. 
It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring forth the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring forth the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring forth the issues of life. Your heart is a producer of life coming out of you. Okay? If it gets down into your heart or it gets sowed into your heart, if your heart begins to believe it, remember when Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to speak? Once it gets from thoughts to your heart, it's going to start coming out of your mouth, and then you're really, really, really in trouble. Because now you're speaking out of your mouth, and you're going to begin to receive what you're saying. Okay? So the thought comes to you, it's going to get down into your heart. Once it gets down into your heart, it's going to start to come out of your mouth. So you've got to break it before it gets to your heart. Now, here's the good news. Jesus mends broken hearts. The good news is that the power of God can deliver you from a broken heart if you will submit it to him. He heals broken hearts. He fixes messed up things. He fixes the things when we get discouraged in life. He can do that. He can speak it in a second, in a moment, in a flash. He can do it. So if you keep your heart right, then the battle's just keeping your thinking straight. Are y'all with me here? Once it gets into your heart, now you got an issue. Because you got to get the power of the Holy Spirit to heal your broken heart. Now he'll do it. I mean, all it takes is you in faith, praying, asking him to set you free. That's why we have a freedom prayer program around here, because sometimes people can't get through it on their own, and they need somebody else to, to, to get in agreement with them so that they can have freedom from the pains and issues that have come in our hearts. That's all it's about. Getting some agreement with you to help you get your heart healed. And we've got testimony after testimony after testimony of people that, I mean, once they pray and go through fear and prayer and go through the steps, that all of a sudden, boom, bada, bing, hearts heal. Hello? Don't look at me like I'm crazy. I'm not. We do. We've got testimony after testimony after testimony. Okay. So let me, show you, let me show you somebody who had an extreme case of this. Go to Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. The story of, of Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, you know, Acts chapter 5 is talking about, you know, the church, early church had started. People were given things. People were, 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 you know, basically given everything that they had, and the church was getting started like this. And Ananias... He wants to impress everybody. And so Ananias goes in and he sells a piece of land for a certain amount, but then he tells everybody it was a different amount because he didn't want to give the whole thing. So rather than saying, yeah, I sold it, you know, I sold it for 50,000 and I'm just going to give 10,000 to church because I need 40, which would have been totally okay. He tells everybody, oh, I only sold it for 10,000 and I'm going to give the total 10,000. So he's lying. And verse 5 says, I mean, chapter 5, verse 3 says, Peter says to him, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back the price of the land for yourself? And he goes on to say, it was yours to do with what you wanted to. Why did you let Satan fill your heart to do it? In other words, there was such twisted stuff going on in Ananias' life that he devises a plan that cost him his life. But my... What I want you to see is he says Satan had filled his heart. 
In other words, the devil had gone from lying to him to then he got into to his heart that his motives and everything he did till he brought it into action and it cost him everything. Look at another one. I, I've been reading just in my daily reading in the book of Exodus. Look at Exodus chapter 14. I want to show you this. Exodus chapter 14. Of Pharaoh getting to the Red Sea and, and with his chariots and his army and going to kill Israel. 14 verse 19. Exodus 14, 19. It says, The angel of the Lord went before the camp of Israel and moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before them and stood behind them so that it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And thus it was a cloud of darkness to one and it gave light to the other. OK, so Pharaoh comes up here. Let me set the stage here. He comes up here with his armies. He's got his charioteers. He's got the biggest, baddest army in the world. There's poor little Israel, all the, cheap, the, the children of Israel out there. They're all vulnerable. They don't have much. And there they are. They're right in the Red Sea's behind them. Here comes Pharaoh and his chariots. So the angel comes in and one gets on one side in front of the Egyptians and one gets behind uh, the camp of Israel so that on one side there is total darkness on, on the Egyptian side. But on the other side, the, the night lights on. The angels shining light and, the, and, and all of Israel is in there. Now, I don't know. I don't know, you know. But I would think that if I was one of the charioteers of the Egyptians and I rolled up there and just even saw that. I mean, you had 10 major miracles took place in Egypt. And then now you've got this angel over here causing darkness on you and shining light over on them. I mean, come on. By now, I would have been holding my horse back. Right? Look what it says here. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land. So this is not, this didn't just happen. Because it would have been muddy and God didn't want his people to walk on mud. So not only did he pull the sea back, but the wind blew so that the land was dry. So the children of Israel went to the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters were, were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued after them. Okay, just stop right there. When I read that, it just hit me. How crazy is Pharaoh? How enraged and crazy has this dude become to have the 10 miracles to, that took place in, in Egypt? Now you got an angel making one side dark and the other side light. Then you got the sea pulling back. Then you got the wind blowing and drying it all out. And he says, let's get on, boys. Not uh, the sea <laughs> is on each side of us. Not. We better not mess with them. It looks like there's a God on their side, right? But he had lost his brain. He lost his mind. He has gotten so enraged with these people beating him that he is charging down into the Red Sea, chasing their chariots and going to kill them and make them go back home and be slaves. Now, when you read the whole book and he keeps saying, and, the, and when you read the, in, in, in a King, New King, come on, speak, Robert. King James or a New King James translation, it always says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart and it makes it look like God's a bad guy. But it's not that case. You got to understand the way it was written. Okay, let me ask you this. If you're going to, it happens all the time in Guatemala, they make bricks. 
They take the mud, they put it out, and they put them in either kilns or they sit out in the sun and then they bake and they make adobe bricks. Is it the sun's fault that the brick became hard? Right? The sun is the sun. The sun is just shining. The sun is doing its job, but because of the composition of what the bricks are made of, when they come in contact with the sun, it becomes hard. Pharaoh's heart was hardened because when he came into the presence of Almighty God, his heart hardened because he would not yield unto who God was. Where what we want to in life is come into the presence of God and our hearts turn to wax. Because if you put wax out in the sun, it's going to melt. And we want to have a heart that comes into the presence of Almighty God. It comes before the face of God and melts our hearts so we can be like him. That he can take us and form us and mold us into who we want to be. Not like Pharaoh's becoming so enraged, so out of your head that it doesn't even make any sense anymore what he's doing. So I want to show you this. And y'all just hang with me. I'm about through. Go to Psalm 16.8. Psalm 16.8. I want to show you how to do it. This is what you do to keep your heart from getting hard. Psalm 16.8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. What you have to do is set the Lord before you. Now, how do you do that? How do you set the Lord before you? He's not an idol, not a statue. You can't take out and bring out the Jesus statue and put him in there and say, oh, I've set the Lord before me. No, no, no. He's talking about in everything you do that day. Dr. Brown's been talking about mindfulness, and I love this thing. It's changed my whole way of thinking. That if you're depressed, you're thinking about or dwelling on the past. If you're anxious, you're dwelling on the future. But where we're supposed to be living is right in the now, in this moment, in this day, in the now, because that's really all we can deal with is the now. We can't deal with the future, although you can speak and put in some other things like that into your future, but you can't change the past. You can repent of the past. You can forgive in the past, but you can't go back and change the past. And so therefore we have to live in the now. Well, how do you set the Lord before you? Well, you have to be in the now and say, Lord, today, this day is yours. It's just like this, folks. I see it like this. If I, was, if I was one of David's mighty men, okay, in the Old Testament, and I was one of his chief principal uh, killers that were sent out to do his bidding and his job, and I went up to David, I wouldn't walk up to David and say, hey, Dave, how's it going, bud? Everything all right today? You doing all right? No, he's the king. I would probably go up and I would bow my knee to him and say, what do you want me to do for you, sir? Hello? You would go up and you would, you would bow your knee before the king and say, Lord, I'm working for you. Oh, you're the servant. You have the power to chop my head off. So how do you set the Lord before you? That's how you do it. You have to have a moment of every day of your life. You have to stop and you have to say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. You're, you're, you're the, what I, today I want to do your bidding. Help me to stay on track. Holy Ghost, help me today to not get off to the left or the right. Don't let me chase rabbits down the hole. You can talk to him in casual talk, but the bottom line is he's still God. See, I think sometimes we forget. I have a great relationship with Jesus. All right, I do. 
I have a very great relationship with Jesus. I talk to Jesus like he's my brother, because he is, like he's my best friend. But every now and then I know that my brother can whip me. You know, I'm not going to, like, if I had a bigger brother, I know that if we got in a fight, you know, he could whip me, right? And so I have respect for my brother, Jesus, right? But I certainly know that my father, yes, who loves me and will cradle me in his arms and will help me, could also spank me if he needed to, right? Because he's my father. Hey, people always think, oh, God, oh, God's so loving. He's so caring. He'll never do anything wrong. Listen, God doesn't hurt you, doesn't, you know, he's not trying to kill you and all. Don't, don't take what I'm saying wrong. But go read Isaiah 13. It says, oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. He ain't going to be happy. And everybody that's rejected him and everybody that's sentenced, you know, whatever, he's going to spin this world so hard it's going to come off of its axis. He's going to take care of this whole thing. The sky's going to roll up, and he is God, and you're going to see he's God, and everybody that doesn't serve him is going to fall down and say, oh, no, why didn't I serve him? Hello? He's still daddy. He's still big daddy, and he can still take care of what he needs to do. And if you need to be slapped upside the head, he's well able to do it, but he's going to love you and the whole time try to get you to change, Right? And where people get it wrong is they get this attitude of God is God's looking down, you know, he throws some cancer on somebody over here, do this over here, cause this over here, do that over there. So he can kind of get everybody back into shape, which is not true, is not, that is not the truth. Right? God loves you and he wants you to walk in victory, but we live in a fallen world. But the truth of the matter is he's still God. So you got to set him before you. So every day I start out my day with my not, a, not the same prayer. It's always not the same prayer, but it's some sort of, Lord, my life is yours. It belongs to you. Today be with me. Lead me, guide me, show me. I set him before me. And then when I want to smack somebody in the mouth, I stop and say, Lord, golly, you know, can you do it? Please. Send an angel right now, but I'm going to hit this boy in the mouth in a minute if you don't do something, right? I had to submit it to the Lord. I still submit it to the Lord. It didn't make any difference. I'm not like Mr. Perfect and didn't have that thought. But I submit it to the Lord, and when you submit it to the Lord, then he has an ability to come in and heal your heart. Because if your heart's strong and your heart's good, then you can get your thinking lined up and you can change the, you know, the, the ruts in your, in your thinking to come out to where you can be productive and bear fruit. The heart's what you got to watch out for. Because if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, I'm telling you, you're going to have problems because Satan, in a sense, has already filled your heart like Ananias, and you're going to have issues that's got to be dealt with. That's why it's so hard at this time uh, uh, that's going on in the world right now. There's so much that wants to make you mad. Hello? I mean, go ahead and admit it. You're not less of a Christian because you got mad, but there's so much that makes you want to be irritated and want, makes you want to be mad. And so what I'm saying to you is it's just bombarding us. It's bombarding us. It's bombarding us. Why? Because the little foxes won't spoil the vine. So keep your heart by setting the Lord always before you, and your thinking will start to line up. Amen? That's why Jesus, and they said, what's the greatest commandment? He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And your neighbors yourself. He said, it's really simple. Just set me before you. Set my commandment of loving the Lord before you. And then the rest will start lining up. 
Amen? Amen. Well, close your Bibles. And if you would just stand up. For those of you out there listening and watching, listen to me. I'm so glad you tuned in. So glad you're there. But you know, there's no distance in spirit. And right there where you are, you can grab hold of this prayer. You can get, you can get yourself right with God right where you are. Those of us in here, matter of fact, I have some prayer team people come down if you've got them this morning and, and just come down this morning so we can be here to pray with you. But if you're, if you're watching or you're in here today, I just want you to understand, all of us have challenges in life. All of us have obstacles and troubles. We live in a fallen world that come to us that try to make our heart get out of whack. But I know that repentance and prayer will heal your heart because that's a, one of the great things the Holy Ghost does, and he's done it to me a million times. And he knows tomorrow he's going to have some more. Just the way it works, okay? But praise God. I want to pray with you this morning. And I want to tell you, I'm just going to ask you, I want to pray a prayer. And whether you're in the building or watching, you can grab hold of this by faith. If we've got prayer team people here, if you want to come up after service and pray with them, they're here for you. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen to me. Today's the day to ask him to come into your life. Holy cow, don't put it off. Do not go out there and at this day and this age of what's going on. Because I'm telling you, I believe in my heart, man, we're seeing some end time things. And I believe that, man, we're getting close to a time when Jesus is going to come back. I don't believe you need to put it off. I need to believe that you need to be right with God. So I'm asking you today, if you're out there, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, the Bible says you can pray. You can ask him to come into your life. All you have to do is, by faith, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of this world, and he'll come into your life, and he'll touch you right there. If you're in the building, you can pray with one of them afterwards, but I want to generally pray over everybody right now. Father, I just declare right now in Jesus' name that we hear your word today to us, we want you set before us, Lord. We honor you and we worship you. We bow our knee to you, Lord. And thank you that, Jesus, you came to this world. Thank you that you gave us a way to get in. And, Lord, I just declare right now that, Lord, that you watch over us and that you keep our hearts from getting hard. Lord, we repent where we've hardened our hearts. We repent, Lord God, right now from where... We have let the enemy come in and sell us a line of lies. Lord, we've got none forgiveness in our heart or anything else. And right now we repent, Lord, and we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to wash us and cleanse our hearts, to make us pure and white as snow. Lord God, to just deliver us from, from all the things of, that sin has done to us because we want to serve you. And Lord, we bow our knees and set our heart for you. So, Lord, I thank you today that the people have ears to hear. And I declare, Lord God, that today you do miracles and signs and wonders in everybody's life. Holy Spirit, you show us what needs to be done. You take care of it and you bring us into a new place with you. So, Lord, bless them now. Bless them as we go. Let this be a great week, Lord, of your hand upon each and every one of us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. We're here up front to pray for you if you need it.